welcome to the Red Rain Podcast. Here is your host from Revenge of the Birds, Walter Mitchell. Thank you, Kyle Little Rock, Little Rock Ledbetter from Slam Diego, now living in Sacktown. Um, I'm working for the uh, Sacramento Kings, which is a really cool gig. Um, what do you do for them, Kyle? So I work for the radio partner for the Sacramento Kings. So basically, I will occasionally run the board for the game produce in the ear with the, uh, the the person talking on the radio, the broadcaster. Uh, his name is G-Man, and he has broadcast every Kings game for 39 years. Wow. And, uh, yep, he's, he's going to hit, I believe they said, 3,000 games this year at some point, which is wow, 3,000 or 2,000 games, which is pretty remarkable. And, total, uh, total legend. Awesome. Yeah. So yeah. I don't have tonight's game, but later this week I will be uh, back in Sacramento as uh, they, I think they play on the road all three games this week, but I'll be at the studio this week then. Excellent, man. That's a good gig. Um, so uh, welcome back Cardinal fans. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, you know, we're all sort of uh, coping with another um, disappointing start to a game um, and finish this time to a game that uh, was topsy-turvy, um, a 34-26 to 26 loss at Minnesota. Um, you know, lots to unpack here and talk about, um, starting with the Cardinals' continued pattern of slow starts. Um, I tweeted out this morning that, that uh, you know, I mean, the – this goes back 14 games of sluggish starts, team looking flat and underprepared um, and digging itself a early hole. You know, often what we're, what we're learning is you dig yourself an early hole, it's really hard to climb out of and it, it, it creates a scenario often in the second half where you have to play it near per picture perfect or get big breaks and, um, you know, you have little margins for error. And of course the Cardinals, um, have been self-destructing in that regard, um, and trying to battle back over the hump. Um, you know, I mean, they, they got their only lead in the third quarter and things were looking up and bang, bang, bang. The Vikings just got the ball and, you know, took it down the field and, um, let's see how many minutes was that? Um, so Arizona goes up 17 to 14 and immediately in three minutes and 14 seconds, the, the Vikings score a touchdown on eight plays and 75 yards. So, and that was the only time the Cardinals had a lead. Um, and then, uh, the next possession was fateful. It was one play and, um, an interception uh, thrown by Kyler Murray, ill-advised um, on, a, on a you know trying to throw deep to uh, to um, <clears throat> Robbie Anderson, uh, who had a 
step on the field, but you know, with his four three speed, you got to throw that right away, or you got to um, design it better to catch off of the shotgun snap and to take a a quick you know um, drop to create space for yourself to step up and throw that right away because and put air on it because uh, you know a guy that fast. Is, um, you know, if, if you try, if you wait, as Kyler did, and added second too long or gets, you know, um, pressure in your face, you're not going to be able to get the ball anywhere close. I mean, nobody, uh, maybe with the exception of Josh Allen, could pump it out there as far as, uh, as Anderson was. And, you know, that was a huge... Um, you know, swing of momentum right there. Um, and it led to another touchdown where the Vikings now re regained an 11 point lead, 28 to 17, a four, four play 31 yard touchdown in one minute and 20 seconds. And the Cardinals did answer with a touchdown right back four plays in 70 yards. Um, then came the, the failed two point conversion in which DeAndre Hopkins rightfully um, pleaded his case for getting a helmet to helmet hit from from um, Harrison um, in, in the in the end zone. Why we don't get those calls, I don't know. Why we didn't get those two absurd intentional down um, downing calls were just. I mean, that was egregious, uh, but you can't at the end of the day, um, blame this game on the officials. Uh, you know, the Cardinals had their opportunities and they squandered them. Um, hell, I, I just, a few plays that really stick in my craw. Um, one is I understand the first play of the game running the bubble screen to Pat Peterson's side. I mean, I had said before the game, we already know a couple things you can do in this game is to, um, you know, uh, test Pat Peterson's willingness to tackle and then and um, and then um, try to um, match, you know, exploit in in pass coverage. All right. So um, those were two things going in. I thought the Cardinals could be effective doing. Um, and right away, I mean, you know, Peterson came up and horse collar and got a 15 yard penalty and he was John and, um, you know, fired people up. So I get it then, but at the end of the half, so coming into the third quarter, you know, with all the time in the locker room to design a first play to go with the bubble screen again, and this time not even to Peterson's side, and McBride gets the holding call on it. And suddenly we're, you know, backed up. And it's a three-play minus five-yard drive. Which this pattern of these coming out of locker room, um, you know, uh, uh, ineptness for the Cardinals. I mean, you know, let me just finish with the third play that was so irksome. And then I'll get to these, you know, um, beginning of halves uh, woes that the Cardinals have, particularly on offense, but also on defense, um, was the absurd timeout late in the game on a, on a key third down 
um, where, uh, you know, the Cardinals are in the red zone. And, you know, it, this is up for debate. Everyone blames this on Cliff. But, I, you know, you're, ultimately it's your quarterback who gets the players lined up and ready to snap the ball. And I've tweeted this out, and I've been talking about this for 14 games now. I've never seen an NFL team um, in all my years um, turn every snap into an angst-inducing struggle. Um, I, I Now I, I just cringe every time we're snapping the ball because someone's going to jump off sides. The, the, the uh, play clock's going to run out. Um, I've seen cleaner snaps and cleaner, you know, uh, in, in Pop Warner football and getting people lined up and snapping the football. When snapping the football is an adventure every time you're snapping the ball, that you can trace that back to what are you doing in OTAs? What are you doing in training camp? I mean, it's the most fundamental thing in football to be able to do is snap the football. Now, the Cardinals have had different centers in there. But all the centers have struggled, including Rodney Hudson, who snapped one, you know, snapped one slow, slapped one over Carler's head a couple of weeks ago. Um, but then in this situation, to call timeout, get a play set, and then it comes down to the end of the clay clock again, and Kyler's still screaming out instructions. It's like he. This is why they call the Cardinals offense Sandlot. It's like he's diagramming a shouting out a play to his his players pre-snap with the shot clock with the you know the the play clock running down. And then the ball snapped premature and hits him in the in the you know um thigh pad and he's got to dive on it and now it's fourth and five or whatever and they have to kick a field goal instead. I mean, just so frustrating to watch this. It's 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 to the point now of being embarrassing. I have to be honest and cringeworthy. You know, and I have to ask myself too. I have to go back to the only other times I can compare, or you can compare, is go back to when a different quarterback was playing, like when Colt McCoy was playing at Seattle. Do we have the same issue snapping the football? He didn't even have Rodney Hudson there. Or he did in one of the two games. San Francisco. He didn't have him in San Francisco, but he did have him in, um, in Seattle. But in both of those games, getting set up and snapping the football was not an issue. It just was not. It was clean. It was, you know, I mean, you, you could develop some confidence in them being able to just snap the football. But this is an ongoing thing with Kyler and Cliff, and it's it caused the eruption that we saw last week and um, on the sideline. I mean, Kyler's frustrated. Cliff's frustrated. I mean, I said at the time, even though I thought it was better seeing Kyler pissed off than moping um, and showing, you know, some emotion there, um, and it bothered me at the expense of his own head coach. And we'll talk about that relationship further on down the line here today. But, you know, but th this is just going on so long. I mean, how many of us, this is what I was saying last week, 
have been yelling at the TV, snap the ball, come on, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. How often are we saying that to ourselves? And if you want to take that and multiply it by 10 times, that's what Cliff Kingsbury's feeling. Now, everyone's assuming that Kingsbury's getting the plays in late. And maybe occasionally a, a play might come in late where your quarterback has to hustle up and get it to the line. That happens to every team. That's no, no team is exempt from that happening. Sometimes that happens. But, but I mean, we see pre-snap the deliberate nature of Kyler every time. Changing the call, giving out. You know, what is this left guard turning towards Kyler for? Uh, you know, I mean, why are they doing that? I mean, and it gives away the snap because the minute he turns, they snap the ball. I, I don't get that. I mean, so, you know, they were doing it with other left guards. With Pew, they were doing it when he was starting. I mean, what is up with this? Um, it's it's a crazy setup, and everybody's to blame. But I think most of the agita-inducing um, tension that and, and uh, struggles that we're seeing snapping the football are on the shoulders of Kyler Murray and belong there. Because if you look back, were the Cardinals like that? Were they like that in preseason with Trace McSorley? No. Were they like that with Colt McCoy back when he was playing? No. But Kyler seems to make um, create his own degree of havoc. And iron. Ironically, he can create havoc in a fantastic way when he's off schedule and stuff like that or, or on the run and moving, which he still is loath to do in regular on-schedule plays. But um, off schedule, I mean, the havoc he creates for the defense is outstanding. But he's also creating havoc for our own offense. It's just unstable and, and unsustainable. Um, when you can't, you know, when you make turn almost every snap into a, a an adventure and, and an uncertainty and an agita inducing struggle. I mean, so if they're ever going to change, they've got to change that to begin with on offense because you can't get flow. There's no flow to this offense when it's like that. It's just all choppy. And that's why pundits are calling it sandlot. It's like they're drawing it up in the dirt with a with a play clock running. I mean, it's just and they're not. But Kyler's overthinking things, overcalling things, get everyone out in formation. Then he's always directing traffic. No, you belong over here, and you belong. What are they doing all week in practice? I mean, even in the two minute drill, you can't get guys lined up in the right spots. You know, he's always waving them around and waving them here and moving the back to the other side and, you know, taking precious time off the clock. And if you know anything about a Cliff Kingsbury offense, it's built and predicated on tempo. And this is not Cliff Kingsbury tempo. I can guarantee you it is not Cliff Kingsbury tempo. And that's why he's frustrated. And that's why Kyler's frustrated because he wants to do it his way. And whatever it is, I mean, Jason Lockhamfora said it five to six weeks ago that the Kyler and Cliff show is not working. And we're seeing why. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins coming back has made a big difference in Kyler's comfort zone and his confidence. That's great. 
But there are other issues here at stake that have to be ironed out, including these preposterously slow starts. I mean, here are two stats for you, which the Fox crew um, illuminated yesterday. And we knew it because we've been watching this. Do you know that in, so in eight games, the opposing team it has scored five TDs on their first possession out of eight games, okay? And two field goals. And only one um, went out in downs. And that wasn't even a punt. It was on a fourth down. All right, so you get one stop in one game. So that's every opponent scoring on their first possession. And we've said this all along. It looks like the Cardinals are unprepared for the opponent. They just kind of play soft and see what they're doing. And then, you know, they're bend, bend, bend. But ultimately, they're not able to close out a first first possession. And look what's happened. I mean, they've given up 51 first quarter points on, on first drives, just first drives. On the flip side, on the Cardinals' first drives, four punts, um, three of which were three and outs. One is a five-play, 19-yard, um, you know, punt. And then uh, one uh, and three field goals. So, <laughs> I mean, look at, look at the point differential. Oh, excuse me. So you have, yeah, 51 first drive points for the opponents and nine points for the Cardinals on three field goals. I mean, there it is. I mean, and the rest of the point differential right now, the point differential between points scored and points allowed is minus 28. So if you look at those numbers there, it's clear that if they don't lose the first possessions like this, they'll probably have a, you know, a chance to win every game they play or pretty much, pretty much close to it. The second coming out of the second half, there are similar woes. Like, you know, all this deferring the kickoff when you're basically conceding. I mean, in five games, your defense has given up first quarter touchdown on first drive and put put the offense in a 7-0 hole. I mean, so basically, are you just conceding that when you defer the kickoff? I mean, that's the question. Are you conceding? Because that's been the pattern, okay? So you're going to get yourself in a hole, but you get the ball for the second half. Well, all right, here's your here's the results of the second half, okay, of what's happened here, all right? Uh, against Kansas City, five plays, zero yards, punt. Against Las Vegas, four plays, 17 yards, out on downs. They did not convert the fourth down. Against uh, the Rams, field goal. Against the Panthers, touchdown. All right. First time all year they've scored on a, on a first possession after a TD, on a first possession after a half. Against the Eagles, nine plays, 10 yards, punt. Against the Seahawks, nine plays, 33 yards, ends on downs again on a fourth down, um, not being able to convert on a fourth and short. Against the Saints, three yards, five, three plays, five yards, three and out, punt. Against the Vikings, three yards minus five yards. And, you know, 
So you're sitting there at halftime. You have all this playbook. You've got stuff you can you can run on that first play. And what do they run again but the bubble screen to the opposite side? Now, what we don't know, did Kyler check out of the play call that Cliff, Cliff had, because you know, he's barking signals there, to run that play instead of a play that Cliff wanted? And there is part of the disconnect, too. I mean, once again, I mean, the disparity of what the other teams are doing versus what the Cardinals are doing. I mean, first, first, the other teams, um, you know, are scoring more after their first drives in, in the uh, third quarter as well. I had Where to the, look this one up. I couldn't believe how do you do nine plays and only get 10 yards coming out of a half? I had, there were a couple sacks in there, but. I was like, I, I couldn't comprehend how do you even have nine plays and only right. move 10 yards to start a half. Well, that speaks to the Cardinals' um, propensity for committing penalties and taking negative yardage losses, um, you know, in a variety of ways between sacks and penalties, et cetera. So, you know, busted. I mean, we've seen plays where the Cardinals in recent you know, plays where the Cardinals try to run Rondale Moore on a on a you know reverse or a jet sweep, and he tackle for a seven yard loss because teams know it's coming um, more often than not. Teams are much more prepared for the Cardinals, and the Cardinals appear to be for the opponents, and that's what's leading to these you know the the great disparity in points scored. You know, coming out of half times or coming and out just of the to, tunnel. to follow up specifically on that drive, it was three pass plays to Eno Benjamin going for one yard, negative one yard, and an incompletion as part of the nine play drive. Rondale right. had a big catch on that drive, but it was right. uh, it was yeah. short plays to Benjamin that netted them zero yards, and then there was a Hernandez holding call and a sack on the last play that got to yeah. that point. It's just. I was fascinated when you said nine nine plays for ten yeah. yards. I couldn't no, yeah. figure out and how to look do at that. that. The holding call for ten yards and then the sack. So that negated whatever yards they had, you know, um, gained previously to get that first first down. You know, or so it, it's just really frustrating. There's a lot of chaos. What seems to be chaos. I mean, in in the NFL, you need a quarterback who's just going to calm everything down and get people set. And Kyler did a number of wonderful things in this game. He threw the ball well, pr primarily, and you know his two interceptions were regrettable. And you know it was up. It was like flipping the script from last week. He played the role of Andy Dalton. I mean, Dalton threw for over four hundred yards, had four four t TD passes, but he had three interceptions which were, as we saw, very costly. And in this game, Kyler had, you know, 300 and I think 50 yards passing, somewhere that close, um, and then three TDs. But the two interceptions, like I said, when you, when you climb into a hole, you can't afford, <laughs> you know, he had uh, 326 yards, three TDs, two interceptions, you can't afford to, um, you know, uh, turn the ball over. And then, you know, of course, the Greg Dortch muffed punt was 
was just um, uh, the timing of that was a backbreaker. Um, Adding to your point on Kyler also, which is that even when you complete just a hair under 70% of your passes, which is what Kyler did in the game, the two interceptions make that look a little less impressive because of how costly turnovers can be in the NFL. Yeah. I mean, Kyler had more more average per per pass play at 7.4 than Cousins did at 6.4. But Cousins protected the ball. He had two TDs, no interceptions. And it still irks me that how Kirk Cousins can beat you with his legs for a touchdown. That was just ridiculous. Um, that is just unthinkable. Um, I'll just say, since we're on that play, what the Cardinals are not, they're given easy escape routes. I mean, they're losing contain everywhere. And we got to talk about that. You know, the guys they have on the edges don't even try to contain. I mean, Victor Demikije yesterday was did you know was you did everything you would never want an edge to do in terms of contain, and it made me wonder whether he's coached to do that. What he did, um, and that the their contain they're, they're telling their cornerbacks you've got contain which puts a cornerback in a major bind because you got to cover first. You always have to cover first. So now to have a cornerback being relegated to contain, you know, what if he's covering, you know, you've got guys like, you know, Jefferson and Thalen and Osborne guys with length and speed. And, you know, you got to pay attention to them first. That's first priority. Then you got to see, uh-oh, runs coming my way. I've got contain. You've got to force it. It's just put enormous pressure on. I mean, why run a 3-4 and not use your outside guys to contain? It's it's just so counterintuitive um, and, and just wrong. I mean, it, the only guy I've ever seen, actually two guys I think have the athleticism to do it, were Reddick, he's gone. And now Gardeck, but they don't play Gardeck a lot. And I, I, he was missed yesterday getting it. Now at times Vance shifts Collins over to the edge. I don't know what goes on with that. I mean, he's certainly a better option there, but he too got caught inside when he was on the edge. I thought he was held. There were a lot of calls. I thought Cardinals guys were held, um, that weren't called, um, and then they, they called ticky-tack ones. One of the holding calls on um, Trey McBride was, uh, I think, wrong. He had his hands inside, you know, um, right where they belong. And, you know, guys do that all the time. It's not called. Now, it's another thing. You wrap your arm around and you hook a guy or you, you know, arms in the wrong spot. Then you call it. But in that case, you know, um, but. Losing, I wrote an article a few weeks back, no contain, no chance. If you don't contain teams, no chance. If they don't contain Kenneth Walker like they didn't up in Seattle, forget about it. Seattle's just going to dominate that game. I mean, you've got to keep him between the tackles and you've got to come down on him hard and get to him before he can break, break away. 
You've got to contain him. I mean, look at the plays that were so easy for the Vikings. On a key third down, they just ran the pitch play wide to Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook had a 100 yard, 111 yards on 20 carries for 5.6. You know, when teams late start running the ball, look at Madison, the kid Madison, Alexander Madison. I didn't even heard of him until yesterday. Five carries for 40 yards, 8.0. And Cousins himself had four carries for 22 yards, a 17-yard scramble touchdown for 5.5 yards. All three of them had touchdowns. Cook, Madison, Cousins on the ground. And Cousins had two in the air. Oh, so frustrating. I mean, you know, and people say, well, keep saying, well, the defense is playing well. But when you, yeah, they're playing well because they held Jefferson to 98 yards or, you know, they're, they're kind of trying to take away the top receivers. I mean, Thalen had 67 yards. Um, you know, and, and in that respect, they're doing better than expected with what they've got. But if you can't stop the run, they gave up 173 yards rushing yesterday. So this perception of, well, the defense is ruined really well. They're not. They're not. I mean, they gave up over 400 yards, close to 500 yards against the Saints. But they made the big plays to counter it. But it's kind of like, you know, so, yeah, there was enough good there to, to compensate for the not-so-good. But this is a defense that's, you know, has got to, you know, clamp down, especially particularly early in games. It can't keep giving the putting the team in a hole like this, and making it, you know, hard to climb out at times. And then giving the, you know, uh, the momentum right back after this has happened in in other games where the Cardinals finally got the lead, and then boom, next drive. It's a relatively easy touchdown. Or if the Cardinals in the fourth quarter get within the lead, you know, like a four points or something, and then teams are ramming it down the Cardinals' throat in the running game like the Rams did, like the Eagles did, to close out their wins against the Cardinals. You know, you've got to have a better answer. And I don't know with the trading deadline whether, you know, I mean, if we ever needed a stud tackle with Rashard Lawrence out, and we needed one anyway um, to add to Lawrence, the time is now. If we don't, I mean, I don't know about you, but I saw some of the, like, Jonathan Ledbetter yesterday getting blown off the ball by, like, six yards. I mean, games are won and lost in the trenches. Cardinals had their fair share of struggles on offensive line yesterday. No doubt. I mean, that that Minnesota defense, you know, Zadarius Smith was an animal in that game. I mean, he was the, a game changer. He even got hurt and came back in. Um, you know, they had – they were well coached. They were, you know, but they still gave up a ton of yards in the air. Um, Cardinals did some really good things. Hopkins had a tremendous day, 12 catches on 13 targets. And the one that he missed, you know, was right off his fingertips. 
159 yards, 13.3, one touchdown. That one touchdown was awesome. You know, it was like thrown into a spider web. You know, the way he caught that was awesome. Randall Moore had seven receptions on eight targets for 92 yards, 13.1, one TD, like great TD, the breakaway, you know, tearaway jersey TD. Ertz, who they're not using enough. Um, and it would be, be nice if they threw to Trey McBride and got him going. I'm not in the in the camp of take him out. I think his errors have been are correctable. I don't think that they're, you know, I think they're more, you know, he's being an aggressive, and that's a good thing. Now you got to coach him up. But you got to get something out of him. I mean, with Max Williams out. We miss Max Williams in the role in which – McBride is now being used. We miss him. Um, and hopefully we can get him back for that role. But we also need McBride in 12 personnel. And we need him. You know, he's the Mackey Award winner. He caught like over a 1,000 yards last year. Um, he won the Mackey for a reason. He's a dang good receiver. You don't even look at him. He's getting the Isabella. <clears throat> and then Dorch only had three targets again. Why the putting A.J. Green out for 37 snaps. The thought occurred to me was for trade bait. They're trying to get him, you know, traded. Um, at the expense of playing Robbie Anderson only seven snaps. I mean, I mean, A.J. Green, why, was, why were they throwing to him over the top on Peterson instead of Anderson on that play? Anderson would have, would have left Peterson in the dust. Peterson was able to recover and knock the ball away. Now, Peterson played a pretty good game. I mean, his game has totally changed now. They totally changed how he plays corner. He plays off and mirror now. He's not a press corner anymore, and they, they're smart enough to recognize that. Um, and he's he's gotten good at it, and he's less handsy than he used to be. Um, which is good, although he, he did have a P.I. And then we'll talk about his Pat Peeve towards the end. Um, you know, give it a little bit of attention. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, personnel-wise, here's my issue, is that you've got veteran guys in there when you have younger, faster options, more athletic options. Like, Victor Dimbakije did very little for the team on the edge yesterday. Um, in fact, he, he just was not a non-factor. On the other side, you have Marcus Golden, um, who's, you know, if you use him right, he should be in just used as a designated pass rusher at this point in his career. You're going to wear him down like you did last year anyway. I mean, Marcus tries hard. He's just not a 34 outside linebacker. He never has been, and he never will. If you're going to play 34 outside linebackers, play guys who who fit the mold. You know? I mean, I thought MyJ Sanders looked much better, more athletic on the edges when he got in there. You know, um, and then, of course, you have, um, you know, uh, 
the kid from Cameron Thomas, you know, um, those guys. Now, I, I'm not sure even with those two, whether they're 34 outside linebackers. I'm sure that, that Dennis Gardick is. I mean, he could be able to do things that Reddick did in that role. He can contain, he can cover, he can, you know, um, he had a one bad game cover in coverage and zone coverage, but his cover grade is really good on PFF. It's in the seventies. So, um, but you, we got to get more athletic there. I mean, I loved, you know, Simmons coming off that edge. How about that great strip sack? They got to rush him more, but he's so valuable. I mean, part of the reason why they stopped looking in Jefferson's direction is, did you see the underneath shadowing he did of Jefferson as a slot corner? I mean, Isaiah Simmons is balling, man, in versatile ways that we've rarely, if ever, seen. It's almost as if he was the second highest graded prospect in his draft class on the defensive side of the ball. He can do so many different yeah. things, and they're now using him to do different things. They are, but with their weakness on the edge, they should play him on the edge. I mean, like I said, no contain, no chance. It's as simple as that. If you're going to let teams at will break contain, like Vance Joseph's defense always do, Look at how the Rams took advantage of it. Look at how the Eagles took advantage of it. Look at how the Vikings took advantage of it yesterday. I mean, we're just sitting ducks. You just, it's just so easy. It's, it's just, you know, and teams know it. They know they can get it at will. And other quarterback, you know, even non-running quarterbacks like Kirk Cousins know it. And know they can, once they break contain, they've got, you know, easy scrambles for big yards um so oh I walter thought, would you like some stats to uh, back you up on your assertions about the defense yeah go ahead so i looked up a few different statistical categories through eight games for the cardinals which is a relatively large sample size i mean you're not going to get a ton more than that for yeah. the whole season but uh, arizona in terms of Scoring defense, they are 29th in the NFL. I'm sorry. Scoring defense, they're 23rd in the NFL. Yeah. Passing defense, they're ranked 29th in the NFL. Right. Rushing defense is their strong suit. They're ranked 14th in the league in rushing defense. <laughs> and as a total team defense, I use Football Outsiders DVOA statistic, which takes like game situation into account when they do their evaluation. Right. Uh, that ranks the Cardinals as the 22nd-ranked defense in the NFL. Uh, some teams that they're next to are Seattle and the Miami Dolphins. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, to their credit, I mean, Vance does make adjustments, and they seem to get better in the second and third quarters. But then, you know, when the game is on the line in the fourth quarter, they tend to – you know, um, give it up and more than you hope you would want. But by that time, they're just, you know, uh, might be a little gassed trying to get, keep the team in the game. I don't know. I don't know, but it's also, well, it's, does that make it a question about the personnel then on the field? Cause when yeah. I see the Cardinals are 29th in pass defense and that that's yards allowed, um, per game on passing. 
Um, I look at that and I say, well, yeah, I expected the Cardinals to be one of the lower passing defenses in the NFL because of what that cornerback room looks like. Um, but I don't know if it's a personnel question or if it's a scheming question or if it's some of both when you take the defense as a whole. Well, it's some of both. The irony is I think they've done better in pass coverage uh, in recent weeks. And we, you know, they're taking away the top receivers pretty well. Um, they're bracketing them, but it costs, it's costing them, you know, some on, you know, defending the run. I mean, uh, or having like a Mac Hollins game where he's getting 10 catches oh, for the Raiders. Exactly. You know, I mean, and, and, you know, so yeah, like other guys on the other side. Um, yeah, it's, you know, part of that is skewed by the, the Chiefs game and the Saints game where they had over 400 yards in passing. Um, but, and at least the Cardinals won one of those two games, thank goodness. But, uh, and the, the, and the coverage was really good at times as it resulted in two pick sixes, um, which was awesome. So, but yeah, I mean, also tackling is an issue, um, continues to be, you know, gotta love Buda Baker. He played hard, ten tackles, led the team. Jalen Thompson had six. I mean, those guys are having to make a make a ton of tackles because just you know runners are getting through. They're breaking contain. Um, you know, kind of at will at times. Simmons had five tackles, all solo, and a sack. Neiman Neiman's not been too too bad. Um, but he's not a downhill guy the way you would prefer, but he had five tackles. Collins had five and a pass defense. Um, but we're not getting tackled. I mean, Foto had five tackles. So that's an encouraging sign. But he, his play was up and down yesterday. But, but he, you know, starting with the offsides, the encroachment he had, um, you know, to start, start the half. What was it, the second half? Or was it the first half? Uh, yeah, maybe it was the first half. Um, penalty right off the bat, but um, but he, he was a physical presence yesterday, so he, he, it's good that he was stepping up in the place of Rashard Lawrence, um, and hopefully he continue continue to do that, and hopefully the Cardinals get a, another guy. Antoine Woods, I thought, came in and played pretty well. Um, they're going to need more of him. I don't know why they don't play him more. He had two tackles and one tackle for loss. He's a classic nose tackle. We're going to need him. Then there's the worry I have is even if they trade for guys, they won't play him. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's like these guys had to crack a code to get in the lineup. I mean, Robbie Anderson, are you serious? You had 10 days to get him extra ready. And you only play him seven snaps, and you play AJ Green thirty-seven snaps, and AJ Green had like one target and zero catches for zero yards in thirty-seven snaps. It makes no sense. Then you have you know Trayvon Mullen. He's healthy this week. He's in uniform, and you don't play him. And he's 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 got more natural talent than any cornerback on our roster. I mean, it behooves you to find out how how good this guy is. <clears throat> I mean, he was a first-round draft pick for a reason. His problem has been, you know, health, staying, you know, 
um, healthy enough to play. And now he's healthy and you don't play him. I mean, you know, what's up with that? I, I, I you know, I think back to the Rams last year. Within a, two days of acquiring um, Von Miller and Odell Beckham, they were in the lineup. I mean, they didn't have to crack a code to get in there and play. They were prepared. I mean, they didn't, they didn't have to do a, some sort of small transition with them. I mean, Odell Beckham was making a difference from day one. Look at McCaffrey. You know, look at what McCaffrey's already doing in San Francisco. Christian McCaffrey had the second highest usage rate of any player in the league yesterday. Only Derrick Henry at 57% of snaps was higher than McCaffrey at 54% of the Cardinals. Of of the 49ers plays were either runs or passes to McCaffrey. Right. Yeah. I I mean, if you're going to trade for guys, play them. I mean, it's just, it's so frustrating. Uh, I mean, you know, and, I mean, Vance acts like, you know, learning his defense is a year-long venture. You know, got, you know, he's got guys, he's got better talent in certain positions and he's not using. Same thing on offense. I mean, the most explosive running back pass receiver I saw against the Saints was Keontae Ingram, by far. I mean... What he did in the passing game last week, I mean, Eno's, you know, kind of mistake-prone in the passing game. He's not bad, but he's not great. But he's not that quick. I mean, the irony is Jordan Hicks making a fourth-down stop inches from the from the um, conversion line from the sticks on a crossing route by Eno Ben on a you know like a circle route by Eno Benjamin. I mean, of all the Cardinals running backs, we probably were easiest to def- for Hicks to defend. It's Benjamin. I mean, if you had Ingram in that situation, plus with Ingram's, Ingram's strength, I think you convert that pass easily. But, you know, um, unfortunately, you know, good for Hicks. He made the play on Benjamin um, and and that was a huge play in the game, a fourth down that um, Cardinals had to convert and didn't. I mean, still within a one-score game then um, with a two-point conversion. So, you know, um, but where is Keontae Ingram in this game? It's clear that Darrell Williams is hampered. I mean, he had no bounce. I mean, he's got an MCL. Um, you know, I, I just, it's decisions like these that just make you wonder, you're just going to go with the veteran over a young guy who showed you explosion. I mean, Darrell Williams had five carries for eight yards, 1.6. He had two catches for six yards, 3.0. I mean, come on, man. What is up with that? I mean, Ingram is our closest thing to Kenneth Walker. I mean, you know, the Seahawks have no problem playing him. I mean, I might be a bit of a stretch to compare him to Walker because Walker is, you know, dynamic. 
But Ingram showed that kind of explosion on a couple of occasions versus the Saints. And he did it in preseason, too, and it made you, made you sit back and go, whoa, or sit up and go, whoa. I mean, use these guys, please, and throw to McBride. Get him involved. And don't quit on him like you do, you do your other young players when they're not playing well. He, he, coach him out of those mistakes he's making. You know, Ertz jumped off sides yesterday in a key situation. And they're not passing. They're ignoring Ertz early in games. I don't understand that at all. And look at the play Ertz made on the touchdown. That was awesome. 13-yard touchdown where he just plowed his way over, you know, you know, into the end zone with a great reach for the pylon. Oh, my God, that was awesome. Um, but you got to involve Ertz more. Um, Kyler's issues still are throwing um, deep middle. Um, and he's got to figure that out. Obviously, uh, was miscommunication with Ertz on that second interception, which, of course, the free safety's standing right there. It looks like he's just throwing it right to him. Um, bad look on that. Also, if, if Ertz had stayed up that seam, I don't know how open that was either. That seemed like kind of a panic throw, um, as did the first one was. I mean, I don't know what Kyler was thinking there because you can't get, you know, with a guy in your face and with the play already underfoot where you, on a play where you have to get rid of it early. Um, you know, it just was not going to be. And unfortunately, it really cost. Um, and it was a first down play, <laughs> you know, when you got the ball back. And so... I mean, the Vikings responded when their backs were to the wall and they needed a drive. The Cardinals did not. Not enough. And, you know, I mean, the defense makes a great play and gets gets a, you know, a punt, and then Dorch drops the punt. Um, that was, I, I think, surprising. I've never seen him drop. Or maybe he muffed one earlier and pounced on it. That's true. But he's usually very reliable. But he took his eye off it like Eno did on the little swing pass. You know, they're like peeking ahead. Now, I, I realize in both situations, you want to know if some guy's going to clean your clock. Um, you know, because the ball's still in the air and you're right there. But, you know, um, you got to make those plays or you, you can't give it give him over. No one's going to quit on Dorch. Unfortunately, you know, they're not really involving him that much anymore in the passing game. Love to see them spread the ball around. Um, you know, with Geno Smith yesterday, in the first half, he had thrown to nine different receivers. Um, and this sets up a quite a fascinating rematch with the Seahawks, who dominated the Cardinals in Seattle. Um, because of the disparity of their off seasons and of their offenses um, and defenses, I must say, because the Seahawks are playing much improved defense recently. I mean, if you saw that Giants game, they really, really got after it. And those young corners for the Seahawks are, I mean, their draft, they crushed their draft. I mean, there's a disparity in itself. Look, watch the, 
Seahawks rookies versus our rookies, if any of them play, McBride will, um, maybe Sanders and Thomas, but getting them in the field has not been a priority, obviously, so far um, for the Cardinals. And, you know, I want to know more about those guys than anyone else um, and why Victor Dimikijay's starting in front of them is um, head scratching to me. I mean, he had a really good, good preseason, but we haven't seen the same kind of bounce and, and um, aggressiveness from him uh, in the regular season games. I think it's time to make a switch there. Um, unfortunately, because uh, I thought in preseason he was really turning heads, but it's not happening right now, certainly. Um, so, but, uh, yeah, I mean, the disparity of, I mean, you look at Geno Smith right now and you look at Kyler Murray. I mean, Geno Smith is disciplined. He's spreading the ball around. He's prepared. He's well-versed um, in the other team's weaknesses. Um, he's putting dimes on people, um, and he's just playing with his head head up. There are no issues snapping the ball at all. I was sitting there envying the whole um, the whole game. I was watching them um, saying, like, look at how easy they snap the ball. People will argue, well, they have a better offensive line. You know, their offensive line is mostly rookies. So you can't make that argument. They're better coached. They're more cohesive. Um, they're better prepared. Um, you know, so um, up to this point, they have been. And the biggest question I have, and I was asking this, uh, you know, in an early morning tweet article I wrote on Revenge of the Birds, so I'm asking this now. Is there any way in one week the Cardinals can summon up the discipline and preparedness it's going to take to outdo the Seahawks' discipline and preparedness. Um, and I, you know, from what we've seen and the Cardinals' seemingly um, redundant flaws in preparation and approach to games, it's hard to imagine they will uh, at this point. Um, but their backs are against the wall now if there's ever a time they need to get it going and get it going right and start turning bad habits into good habits, it's now because, you know, the schedule now gets, gets really key with three divisional games coming up. Um, if they can somehow get on a groove and a roll on in this critical stretch, they can get themselves right back in the middle of this whole thing. I mean, as it is right now, I think they're one game out of the last wild card. As crazy as that sounds, but they're only, you know, if the playoffs started today, I think um, you'd have the Eagles, Cowboys, Giants, with Cowboys and Giants as two of the three wild cards. You'd have the Vikings, and the second place team is the Packers at three and five, same as the Cardinals. And then also you have the the commanders at four and four. So they're, you know, they're right in the mix too. Um, oh, actually they would get right now. They, I think they would have the 
all four of those teams in the NFC East, which used to be called the NFC least, are, you know, playoff worthy, you know, with the new format, seven teams in each conference. Depending on so, tiebreakers, because yeah. Washington and San Francisco have the same record. Oh, they're both four and four? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Okay, yeah. I don't know who has the tiebreaker there. Good point. I if mean, if what... we had to guess, we would guess San Francisco will, will end up getting the spot over Washington. It's just right now Washington has had a couple of crazy wins in back-to-back weeks, and they're uh, they're four and four at this point, which well, I don't think many people had them and the Falcons both being four and four. If you want to look, oh yeah, the Falcons. Well, they're in first place, so right now they'd be in. That was a wild game yesterday. I mean, feel bad for Steve Wilkes on a one of the greatest hail marys ever, and the guy commits the penalty. Right, mm-hmm. so now they have to try to convert a forty-eight yard extra point that would win the game, and they miss it. And then they miss a field goal in overtime. Unbelievable. I mean, the selfishness that guys have in, like, celebrations and stuff, it's just absurd. Um, the lack of discipline costs them one of the greatest wins imaginable. Um, so, but anyway, I don't got to worry about their problems. What I am going to worry about is whether this team can – break bad habits and come out sharp for once. I mean, when have we seen sharp coming out of the gates on either half? When have we seen that? How long has it been? And that's just going to get me to the point that, you know, if this just keeps continuing, you have to have a change in the GM role and in the head coaching role um, and the whole staff. I don't think there's, you know, I don't want to see some conglomerate mix of get a new head coach in and keep Vance Joseph. Please, no. Um, Or I don't want to see Vance Joseph promoted to head coach. Um, That's just not, I mean, he's done some really good things. Don't get me wrong. And I, I like the way he, you know, he addresses and presents himself. He's an articulate guy, and you know I can see why players like him. It's just like I said, no contain, no chance. If you run a defense anywhere and you don't contain, you're going to lose more often than you win, and that in itself rules him out for me. Um, but we're going to need a whole change in staff, I think, um, because the main investment is Kyler Murray. At this point now, you committed $230.5 million to him. What we don't know yet is why Kyler has these pre-snap struggles um, and why he hasn't been coached out of it, why he refuses to run bootlegs and waggles to move the pocket. I mean, did you see the, the Bills game yesterday where Josh Allen bootleg um, to his left on a run pass option where he can just run it in or if the defense bites up he throws it to the kid Knox at the back of the egg zone for an easy touchdown Um, that's something Kyler should be doing all the time I mean it's so easy I mean 
You know, I mean, it is so easy. I mean, you're getting away from pressure and you get, get him that option. Um, but and you see Jandal Jones running bootlegs left and right. I mean, other quarterbacks are doing it who are less athletic. I'm less speedy than Kyler. I mean, Josh Allen's a good athlete, but he's not, doesn't have Kyler speed. I mean, why he's refusing to do that. And it has to be at this point because put it this way. I mean, Kyler knows the pocket situation is getting dicey because it's so predictable and guys are coming, you know, they're coming full force up the middle at him. So why doesn't he suggest himself? Well, I'll tell you what, we're going to move the pocket around. I mean, what coach in the world wouldn't agree with that? Except it's not happening because Kyler doesn't want it to happen. He wants it's, to it be- is working, too. It's the strange part. The most impressive play I saw in the entire game, and I didn't watch the whole Arizona-Minnesota game, but the, the final drive on the – it was either third or second and 18. Kyler rolls to his right and throws to Hopkins for 22 yards. It was the most impressive play I saw all day until yeah. the, the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, it would work like a charm if they did it more, I think, on sprint outs. I mean, yeah, you're you're narrowing down that side of the field, but the way the Cardinals overload zone, you know, they, they flood a zone, you know, Kyle should be able to pick out the open man and, you know, yeah. Um, That's okay. If you buy seven seconds of time, either someone's going to get open or you have DeAndre Hopkins who – you know, the joke is that he's always open, even in a phone right. booth. Like DeAndre Hopkins, he, he doesn't have to be open in order to make that play work. Or if you right. buy enough time, like what the Chiefs do, Rondell Moore will find space. Greg Dorch will find space. Robbie Anderson will find space. It's really hard to guard receivers for seven and eight seconds at a Correct. time. Or you also have the opportunity to run because you're Kyler Murray or throw the ball out of bounds if you want to you know, go for another you know, for another play um, and do the smart thing. So, um, and you're at the same time giving defenses fits. That's the last thing they want to have to try to do is defend Kyler on the run. Um, And yet Kyler doesn't seem to have that awareness about himself. He's reluctant to do it. There's something wrong about all that has been from the beginning. And it's one of the reasons why this offense is so predictable. Um, and stale. Um, still can't believe that with the whole halftime to come out to, you've sacrificed a seven nothing deficit to get the ball back first in the second half, and the getting the ball back first in the second half has not worked. Um, you know, for the Cardinals in five of the of six of the eight games, it's been pretty much, you know three and out or four and out or nine plays and <laughs> 10 yards. Um, like I looked up. <laughs> so, but um, yeah, there's, there's going to be what we don't know either is how Kyler will take to um, the coaching of someone else. And, but he's the guy you paying 230 million for. Um, you've got to do something because this can't continue. Um, yeah, I I don't think Kyler shows enough respect for Cliff, and I don't think that he's Kyler's bought in to Cliff Cliff's offense because he's basically not running 
Cliff's offense. So, I mean, it doesn't look to me like Cliff's offense. But I think Kyler does a lot of checking off on the line of scrimmage. And sometimes it's good, but sometimes it's not. And I think some of those quick get the ball out of my hands are his calls and not Cliff's. I mean, yes, you want to get the ball out quickly, but this obsession with bubble screens is just at this point beyond absurd. Um, and, um, and when you've got speed to throw downfield, it makes it even more agonizing um, to know what could be when you throw downfield. Um, instead, like when you have that choice with a whole halftime to prepare, I mean, I thought run, run more on a go route first play. Catch the ball off a shotgun. Take your your take a three step drop and let it rip right up that sideline. Even if it's incomplete, the, the defense is going to be on its heels, going, "Oh boy, they're coming after us." I mean, but that's a play that you, the safety's not going to get over. Harrison Smith's not going to get over it in time to intercept that kind of a pass. Particularly if on your back pedal, Kyler stares at Smith um, and then lets it go. So I mean, that's something they should have dialed up several times a game. And then, of course, I've been saying this for a few weeks now. Actually, I've been saying this for a long time now um, for the better course of 14 games. If you want to score touchdowns, try passing into the end zone more. I mean, like I said, if you watch Mahomes and the best guys, the highest scoring quarterbacks, they're constantly throwing into the end zone. But, and credit Kyler for throwing to Hopkins when it looked like he was covered. And in my opinion, being held um, for that great touchdown, then, you know, you throw it into the end zone, things like that can happen. The only other one I could think of was the A.J. Green throw up the sideline which hasn't worked all year and it's still they're still trying to run it I, just beyond me um but um then uh, of course you know peterson made that play and then peterson after the game had some choice words for steve kime you know calling him out you still hasn't called me and i had mixed reaction to that uh, and basically said in a tweet that you know here's and i you know did a i quoted a tweet um and you know um of the of the video of pat telling you know kind of ragging on steve kime but uh the way i summed it summed it up was steve kime puts players like pat p on pedestals creates double standards for them that cost the team holds them hostage, um, then ghosts them. Pat P. cheated fans and organization his last few years in Arizona. He's a consummate pretender. But after um, Michael Bidwell said, um, when Pat was a free agent, we'd love to re-sign Pat. Steve Kimes' ghosting was unprofessional. And I think a total lack of class. And this is what the problem is with Steve Kine. I mean, 
I mean, Pat P does have a point here. I mean, I don't know why it's in his interest to prolong this acrimony and him feeling dissed by the Cardinals because, you know, he's on a seven and one team right now. Who cares? I mean, his team's winning. He's doing his part. Um, he's playing better. You know, he's, he's adjusted his game to being an older player and not being able to do some of the things he used to be able to do as a press corner. And he's doing a pretty good job. Why even bring this up at this point? It's old news. The other thing is why draw attention to the fact that, you know, he said that, um, which was kind of egregious to tell you the truth. I don't blame him for if this is what happened, um, was finding emails to the owner or the, you know, ownership front office from disgruntled fans who, you know, were like canceling their season subscriptions because, uh, Pat P wouldn't tackle. Um, and you know, it was a joke, um, on the, in their minds that, you know, a player like that wouldn't, you know, ball up for the team. And Pat even named one of the guys that the season subscription, um, guys who wrote this in, but Pat never knew who put those there, you know, it's from the front office. So was it Bidwell? Was it Kime? I can't imagine Bidwell doing that. <laughs> um, so there's, you know, maybe the same mole that, you know, got to Kyler Murray, but this just continues to show the dysfunction within the organization, particularly with Steve Kime as GM. I mean, how many of these former Cardinals are going to leave disgruntled and laughing out loud at the organization? I mean, when, when, uh, when Michael Bidwell again, and I don't know why Bidwell keeps doing this because Bidwell wants to placate the fans all, you know, that's like part of his MO was he knows that Pat P was popular. So he wanted to placate the Pat P fans by saying, oh yeah, we'd love to resign Pat. And I think he said at the right at the right price. Okay. Now, again, this offseason, Bidwell said, we'd love to re-sign Chandler. And this time I don't think he said at the right price. To which moments later, Chandler got on Twitter and wrote LOL. I mean, and left the building calling out the defensive coordinator for not using him properly. And he was a malcontent, you know, um, last year before the season started, wanted asked for a trade. Like I said, they hold players hostage. How'd that work out with Chandler Jones last year, making $15.5 on the team's salary cap that was not guaranteed? How'd that work out? Um, not great for him. Well, in a way, great for him because he still got paid. But he might have gotten paid more if he really had a good year. I mean, really, after the first game, he was, you know, not Chandler of old. And now he's not putting up big numbers. And Kyle, can you look up Chandler Jones' sack totals in Las Vegas? A couple of weeks um, ago, it was one. I was watching that yeah. whole um, that Raiders game yesterday was on our radio station, so I was working that. I got. I, I know he didn't have a sack yesterday, but I don't yeah. know. I think it's one. Uh, it's a, yeah. it's actually a half sack. He has a half sack, and 
uh, six assisted tackles, 15 combined tackles so far on the season. Against the Saints, he had just one tackle. And the week before against the Texans, he had two combined tackles and one assisted tackle with, of course, the half sack. So uh, he has 0.5 sacks on the season. I mean, he's pulling up Suggs. <laughs> I think he's playing harder than Suggs. I've watched him, so I can't I can't go that far. But um, it's clear that it was pretty clear that, you know, that his, you know, you hit a wall when you get in your 30s. I mean, and Chandler Jones was always overused. I mean, you know, that's why he, he was worn out towards the end of seasons was, you know, they overused him and, I, in my opinion, miscast him as a 34 outside linebacker. I mean, if you just relegated him to rushing the, the edge all the time, it would have preserved him more. Um, like I'm saying they should do with Golden. Uh, not have him do all the, the wear and tear you have to do with all the other stuff. And this is what Chandler got pissed off at, was that being used, what was it, 45 times in coverage last year that could have been pass rushes. Um, something ridiculous like that, uh, you know, because you're a 34 outside linebacker. That's what uh, 34 outside linebackers are asked to do when you go into these exotic blitz packages. But, um, you know, but with Pat P, I mean, if that happened to him where the communication wasn't direct from the coaches and front office that, Hey, Pat, you need to tackle. And the only way he was being informed of it was through emails dropped sur surreptitiously on his chair at his locker. I mean, that is just so outrageous. I don't blame him in the least for being outraged about that, if that was the case. And he had direct names to quote. So, I mean, that is just so bogus. Um, and, you know, talk about distrust and dysfunction. You know, you, players will respect honesty. What they won't respect is this kind of bullshit. And, um, you know, the day can't come soon enough for me to see Steve Kime be removed as GM. Um, it's just, I cannot stand the kind of bogus things he does in these, these regards. Now, yeah, he is kind of Bill Will's hatchet man. But you don't need to be a hatchet man these days. You can be an upfront, honest, um, straightforward, here's what we're doing, here's what we need more of from you. Um, if you want this, this, and that, this is, you know, do a quid pro quo. Do whatever it takes. Communicate. But the Cardinals have serious communication problems starting between their head coach and their quarterback. I mean, that relationship now is just not working. Um, and you've got it between, you know, Steve Kime and the players. I can tell you this right now. I had so many um, inside people that I talked to tell me that the players just can't stand the guy. Um, and it's no secret. And it's no secret why. Um you know, and I, there's there's better ways of doing business than that. And uh, 
I want the Cardinals to be, first and foremost, a class organization where when players move on, they understand why and their understanding of it and appreciative of their time in Arizona and the opportunities that the Cardinals give them. That's what we want. And um, we're not having that here. The PR hits, when are these PR hits going to stop? I mean, it was salt in the wounds to have Pat P all over the internet, you know, dissing on the organization yesterday. Even though we know, I mean, it's just amazing to me how much in denial Pat P still is. I mean, he said, I didn't do anything to deserve that. Um, Pat, let's just remind you, you, you you've got a, a, a ped violation and cover up. And by the way, DeAndre Hopkins came back in shape. You didn't, <laughs> I mean, you didn't come back anywhere near in shape. And then you, you know, you just were not dialed in and motivated to play at the highest levels. And you certainly weren't motivated in tackling anyone while you were here. So, I mean, if you didn't understand that, then I don't know what you can understand. But, um, and how about when you, uh, at the waste management, after in the middle of the Steve Wilkes season demanding a trade, got on the mic and assured all the fans that, oh, I'm here to stay, baby, and I'm your guy, only to find out like a week later you're suspended for six games and then you have that shit fit with the organization that they wouldn't pay you while you were suspended, which is just so bogus. I mean, we can go on and on about this, but, you know, things were not pretty for you in Arizona, Pat, and you ought to move on from it, um, you know, and get past it. But you ought to understand and own up to some of the things. I mean, you led the league in penalties your last year with 14. I mean, I know you never committed a penalty that you agree with, but the the consistency of that, you know, usually veterans get the benefit of the doubt. But in your case, you made most of those penalties very, very obvious. And, um, you know, but your, your complaints about Kime, I think, have some merit. And uh, I wish Kime had called you just to say, look, Pat, you know, I don't want to insult you with an offer that you would find lowballing. and you deserve better than that. Test the market. You know, if you're not getting what you want, call me back. Let's see what we can talk about. Or if the, you don't want him to call him back, just say, I think it's time best for you to move on and for us to move on. And this will be good for you career wise. And we have, you know, you know, we can't, we're not going to pay you what you what you probably want. So let's it's time to move on. And you know, I mean, it's upfront and honest, and it's communication and not ghosting. So here we are on Halloween talking about ghosting. So um, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's where that is, and um, you know, uh, I don't know. I, it, it just sticks in my crawl. This is just, you know, the Tyran Matthew situations, uh, 
the guys who leave and um in and Chandler Jones um you know making his remarks on his way out the door you know uh it, the the scrubbing of social medias and this and that it's all very cowardly i i just uh all that bothers me and the way the Cardinals handle it. They should be preemptive and nip these things in the bud anyway. Um, they just don't seem to get ahead of the curve on just about anything. And they're certainly behind the curve on preparation, which is uh, what worries me about this Seahawks game. Because when you watch them play, they've, they've really got a thing going now. How did they do that in one year? And who would ever guessed that the most efficient, and um, productive quarterback in the NF in the NFC West this year is um, Geno Smith, and it's not even close. I mean, Geno Smith's is... going to make a Pro Bowl. I, I went through the I went through yep. the NFC. He's making the Pro Bowl this year. It's going to be Jalen Hurts, him, and probably Aaron Rodgers making the Pro Bowl in the NFC. Yeah, and check this out. You know who's number one in first course, first quarter scoring? points per game in the NFL. Would it be Seattle? It is. You know who's last? I, I know who's last in the league. <laughs> yeah, the Cardinals averaging 1.1 point per first quarter. 1.1 <laughs> point per first quarter with a 47.5 million a year quarterback. It only came from the uh, only came from the touchdown in the Saints game, I believe. That's their only scoring. Other than I think there was a field goal in the the Panthers game. I think that's it. Yeah, it's just ten points. Do you know? Um, can you look up Geno Smith's salary? What's uh, he count on this year's cap? I, I used to know it off the. That's a weird thing to say. I used to know it off the top of my head, but I'll double check and see <laughs> what his uh, his contract is looking like. So. He's got base salary is one point two million. Against the cap, it's three and a half million dollars this year, and then a, so it's a one-year contract. So he's a free agent after this season. Wow, you know, and it, it. I'll tell you this, and I want to end on this note because, you know, I know a lot of fans call Kyler Murray elite, and he has elite skills. But quarterbacking takes, as we've seen, a lot more than just skills. I mean, elite skills. You need to be an elite decision maker. You need to be an elite organizer. You need to be an elite um, clutch player down the stretch. You need to be an elite communicator. You need to be an elite leader. You need to be all those things and above, all of which right now Geno Smith is being. At $3.1 million a year. And I don't think he's doing as much, you know, for a contract as he is for redemption for all these years. You know, it's his hunger that's driving him of, of you know, of proving his worth after all these years being pigeonholed um, as a backup quarterback. Did and you right hear what now, he said after the game yesterday? Did you hear his quote after the game? I did. I loved it. Reiterated. So his his quote after the game, because they asked him, because obviously he used to be the quarterback of the Giants, and famously he got one start 
the fans revolted against him. They fired Ben McAdoo, and the interim coach was uh, demanded by ownership to put Eli Manning back in at quarterback. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so when asked about it, Geno Smith said, wasn't personal necessarily. I just wanted to do it for uh, Jerry Reese, who used to be the GM of the Giants, and Ben McAdoo, because they were the people who put their faith in me. I'm paraphrasing now, but it's like right. they put their faith in me. They They gave me a chance after the Jets let me go, and... I wanted to do right by them because neither of them are ever going to work at the top levels of the NFL again. Right. That's awesome. No, he's got, I mean, I remember yesterday after the game, the post-game interview he did on the field, he was so modest and so just like, you know, he said, there'll be a time to reflect on this and enjoy it more. Right now, I just got to work. I love that. You know, there's a realism there that also there's a here's what you worry about with players who got too much too soon is that they get jaded. I mean, I can guarantee you this. Geno Smith will never be jaded ever. He's learned too much. I mean, I don't know about how, how many of you like had to, you know, basically for a year or two or more than that had to live on a very tight budget because of, you know, the, you know, you just didn't have the revenue coming in. And, um, you know, I remember those years very well. And of course I was a teacher and didn't make a lot of money, but there were a couple of years there where I was, uh, uh, accepted a job at a much lower, um, salary, just get my foot in the door where, I mean, I wouldn't buy anything in a grocery store if it wasn't on sale. And you know what? It sticks with you. I mean, now I can afford a lot more than what I could back then. And I still kind of like getting things on sale instead of, and waiting to get them on sale instead of buying regular price. I mean, uh, you know, and I have to fight myself to do it at times when, you know, um, but that's the, the great study about, you know, the, and the biblical proportions of the prodigal son and all that, you know, it makes things fascinating. And that was one of my arguments to hold off on Kyler. You give him too much too soon. These are the kind of things that can happen. Either the expectations and, you know, plus living up to that contract when pretty much the whole NFL world knew he didn't deserve it yet. Um, and still knows. And now are keeping count on it and like telling everybody, you know, this is why you don't, do that too soon um because so thus far i can't accept an argument of you know that this was a good move by the cardinals to um extend him at that price um at that contract this soon um and now it's going to if things continue the way they are cliff kingsbury is going to be out um and a new coach is going to come in and we don't know yet whether kyler's coachable or not um, that's a big mystery. Now, you know, I think they'll probably involve Kyler in the decision process if they get that far with getting a new coach in here. Who knows who would be even interested in this? Um, you know, I know Sean Payton's name's been bounced around. And, you know, with Payton, you'd have to give up, you know, make him, well, like, give him a Belichickian role. Um which I don't think would be a bad thing necessarily. I mean, the guy's a proven winner and he's great with quarterbacks, particularly short quarterbacks. 
Um, the job he did with Breeze was phenomenal, and he could really turn things around here. But it's going to come at a pretty price. I mean, what was the offer he got last year, Kyle? Uh, the Miami Dolphins offered him four years and $100 million, along with uh, decision-making over personnel. So basically, uh, he would sign off on personnel choices that uh, right. Chris Greer brought in. Right. Five years, 100 uh, four years, a hundred, so twenty-five That's, million per year. Yeah, I don't. There have know. also been unconfirmed reports that uh, David Teppers for the uh, the Panthers is contemplating offering thirty million a year to Sean Payton to run the Carolina Panthers. Well, okay. Well, then that's going to blow Bidwell out of the water. Um. Although, I said unconfirmed. Yeah. It's been unconfirmed. Yeah. It's just, uh, you know, people who have sources have, have said that there's been whisperings about that. But it's okay. not like there's been no definitive confirmation by a major, uh, you know, major newsbreaker, shall we say. It's been more uh, people who have inside information, but it hasn't been definitively reported. Yeah. Um, well, if Peyton's out, where would the Cardinals pivot? Any kind, any names to you come to mind? So th this is an interesting point because anytime there's head coaching searches, the thing I always say is I'm not the one sitting down and interviewing people. I would be more akin to want to like talk to people and see who exhibits leadership qualities more than necessarily an X's and O's skill set. So right. that part's difficult because I don't know any of these people. Um, but if there's names that I'm interested in, I would say Cardinals should look at maybe a defensive coach, someone like D'Amico Ryans with the 49ers, or uh, I forgot the name now. It's Jonathan something, the defensive coordinator of the Eagles, I think is someone you're going to hear his name brought up a lot over the coming months. Um, if you're looking for an offensive guy, you could go to Ken Dorsey, perhaps. I said a couple weeks ago they should offer Joe Brady the offensive coordinator position, but he might not leave being the quarterback's coach of the Bills to call plays in Arizona. But right, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know these people, so I don't know who the best hire would be per se. But those are just some of the names I think the Cardinals should interview, and the you know yep. trust that whoever the either Kime or whoever the new general manager is 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 qualified to make the right coaching decision. Well, I can't imagine a defensive head coach now with as important it is, as it is to get the most out of your $230.5 million investment. Well, um, is there, is there an offensive name that really jumps off the page? Because my argument has always been just hiring an offensive coach just to hire one isn't necessarily the best course of action. If there's a name that jumps off the page, I think that that's definitely a great idea. I know people have lost some love in Biennemi with Kansas City, and I'm sure there's something going on there where, you know, former players are coming out with not necessarily the most loving um, descriptions of Biennemi's coaching, but, you know, that's a name that's had a lot of success, I suppose. So is there someone you could think of that kind of jumps off the page? Um, the guy that intrigues me is Mike LaFleur, offensive coordinator of the Jets, brother of Matt LaFleur. Um, comes from a great stock. Uh, I really love what he's been doing with the Jets this year. Um, very creative, particularly in their running game. Boy, 
I'm so sad to see Brees Hall go down. She was having a magnificent season, and LaFleur was opening gates for him um, with very creative play calling. I think he's a savvy young guy. He's 35 years old. You know, I mean, in the NFC West with the other, you know, whiz kids um, coaching other than, you know, the venerable Pete Carroll, who's, you know, um, like Lazarus back from the dead. Um, I mean, <laughs> nobody should have ever predicted <laughs> his demise because, man, he is loving life right now, Pete Carroll. And I've always had a lot of respect for him. Um, you know, I can't stand him because he's a coach of a, our big rivals. But at the same time, I have, you know, I, I respect what he does, particularly as a defensive coach. I can't believe he has that defense playing that at that kind of level so soon with so many young players having lost, you know, their, you know, like Bobby Wagner, you know, some of their, their best players. So, you know, I, <clears throat> I even thought they made a mistake letting um, Carlos Dunlop go. I, he, he really hurt the Cardinals last year in that last game um, where we had the NFC West on the line and lost, um, and they were playing a meaningless game and, you know, just laid it on us. So we had Russell's last game as a Seahawk, but and Russell played great. So um, Matt LaFleur comes to mind, and, you know, I don't know what kind of a plan he'd have for Kyler, but I've seen him actually get good numbers out of guys like Mike White last year when, uh, when um, you know, uh uh, their young quarter quarterback from BYU. Um, oh gosh, what's his name? Zach uh, Wilson. Yeah, Zach Wilson uh, was out. Uh, Mike White played a couple really good games and put up good, good numbers. And you know, I think this is a bright guy. And um, you know, and he did well with Joe Flacco. I think when having Colt McCoy back for next season, it will be a boon to have Colt there, uh, you know, with, with a young guy like Mike LaFleur. But I, I can't imagine at this point you risking, you know, here's the thing is if, if you hire a defensive head coach and then you hire a new offensive coordinator and he does great with Kyler, he's gone. Yeah. So then you're starting all over. Um, you know, it's, it's the way that, that's that's the difficult thing that I always wrestle with because I would all I've always said if I were ever in a position to hire, I would really take the time to interview candidates and like really look into who the best leader would be because of the coaches that we think of as the, the most successful are the ones who are, are add value on one side of the ball but are also strong leaders. You, you think of someone like a Mike Tomlin type where you know, he adds value on defense and also is someone who's great as a head coach. I, don't, I think he'd be great as a defensive coordinator again, but I, I just always wrestle with that difficult situation. I do have one more name that I just thought of that yeah. might take a little bit of prognosticating, but yeah. could be someone interesting. In the event of a mutual parting of ways this offseason, would you be interested in interviewing Frank Reich? As the head coach of the Cardinals? No. No? It's made such a mess out of every quarterback he's had there. 
you know? You, you'd you rather know. take a chance on someone new? Yeah. No, I just not. You know, the Colts are interesting. I mean, they love Kyler Murray. I mean, and he would be probably, um, you know, raising his hand to want to come to coach Kyler because they, I mean, I, I think they were one of the teams that really tried to get Kyler or make offers for Kyler this offseason. And, um, yeah, I don't, who knows? Maybe they're on the line right now still calling, thinking that maybe there's a way. Um, but, man, uh, Colts underachieved so much under his, his watch. Mm-hmm. You know, I think he's a good coach. I'm not sure. Is he calling the plays out there, or does he have? I don't I, know. What... I so I believe once Sirianni left, he took over the play calling. But I'm not following the Colts as closely, so I'm I'm kind of throwing that one blindly out there. I don't actually know who the Colts' offensive coordinator is since Sirianni left. So type that I'm, in. I'm... See, who's the Colts? Type that in. Let's find out who that is. And whether he's calling plays because, you know, they've really struggled. Of course, Jonathan Taylor's been out. That's hurt. That hurts. Their offensive line suddenly is pedestrian, which is weird because they have so much talent there. They had so much depth, too. So Frank Reich is still the play caller for the Colts. And their offensive coordinator is... Uh, a man named, I believe, Marcus Brady. I, he has uh, Marcus Brady was the quarterback's coach prior to uh, Nick Sirianni leaving for yep. uh, for Philadelphia, and he. Uh, let's see, he was. Oh, it's interesting. He came from the Canadian Football League. He was a coach in Montreal for a lot of years and then then has been with the Colts for the last five years. Okay. Well, that's their offensive coordinator and Frank Reich's the play caller still. Yeah. You know, what's fascinating to me, we're going to end it on this is the, the coaches that double as coordinators, the head coaches that double as coordinators. Like, you know, the, the Dennis Allen now in um, in New Orleans, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, last year he had arguably one of the top three defenses going in the NFL. I mean, they were lights out. He gets, um, you know, like uh, Sean Payton resigns and, and um, he gets promoted to head coach. Now they did get a shutout yesterday, so but they you know they their defense hasn't nearly been the same as what it was last year now that he's head coach because there's so much you have to take on when you're the head coach in addition to everything else. It kind of takes your attention away from some of the things that matter the most because you don't have the time um, you know and you're overloaded with all these things. I mean, Cliff Kingsbury in Arizona, you know, calling the plays and, you know, struggling this year. Um, You can look at even Sean McVay this year, struggling more than usual in uh, L.A. Um, 
you know, uh, Belichick not being able to win without Brady. Um, and they've done okay for themselves, right? Like they've made two playoffs in three years while never having a top ten offense. It's just they Bill Belichick's very much involved on the defensive side of the ball, just not the offensive side. Without of the ball. Brady, he's twenty one and twenty. Yeah. No, they're not great. I just think they've outperformed the roster that they've had. They they the bigger no, problem I mean, is that they haven't brought in talented players. Right. But I think that you know, I'm just saying that yeah. Um, the coordinators, the someone's going to look at this. So I'm going back, backtracking to your point of like, mm-hmm. you know, in the old days, you you wanted a head coach who coached everyone and was a, a inspiration and a, you know a motivator. And look at Mike Vrabel, you know, in um, Tennessee. I mean, what an ins- inspirational coach he is. Um, and the players love him, and he's tough, and he's, you know, out of the Belichick mold. Um, but he's also really great with, with players. and You know, they run through walls for him and everything. Um, but he doesn't call the defensive plays there. He entrusts his defensive coordinator. What I found fascinating, too, is that um, Brian Dable um, is not calling the plays for the Giants. Um, Mike Kafka is, I believe. Um, yes. Yeah, it's Mike Kafka who yes, runs the his, former his... quarterbacks coach of the, the Chiefs. Yeah, and I think he spent time with the Bills too. Um, mm-hmm. And but he knows Dayball's system, and it's freed Dayball up to coach the whole team. I think that was very smart. So that was the you know I, I think that. Ideally, you want a guy who can coach the whole team and be accountable, and you know, for all three phases. Then you want with these specialized head coaches who are basically specialized to coach one side of the ball, one of the three phases. So, yeah. I, I think yeah, that I, requires you to hire good people and trust the people that you put in power to make good decisions. Right. You gotta you gotta relinquish a little bit of control in order to do that, which is why I always say whenever coaching hires come up, I don't know any of these people. I don't know who would make the best leaders. I would just you know put your faith in the person hiring, which I know is not the the most resounding. Uh, situation for the Cardinals right now because there's not a lot of faith in Steve Kime, but maybe Steve Kime won't be the person making the the decision on who the, who the next coach is. Well, it better be. I mean, oh my gosh. I mean, it, it's just if Bidwell hangs on to Kime now, I mean, I think there'll be mutiny. I think you, Bidwell would come in to find more canceled season ticket holders. Um, because it's just the dysfunction starts there, in my opinion, when you have players complaining and, you know, there's acrimony there and the PR hits that keep coming in, you can't, you know, be one thing if, you know, we're winning playoff games or something, but, you know, in his tenure, the Cardinals are one and three in the playoffs or yeah. One and three in the playoffs. So, 
I mean, they got in there um, three times, right? Yes. The, the yeah. year that they lost to the Panthers. Well, the first time they lost to the Panthers, the, the year they went to the NFC Championship, and then last year against the Rams. So it's not as if you're like, he's got a, a clear um, track success. Um, he's done good things. No doubt he's made um, some, some of the more epic trades, some of which have backfired. I mean, the Rodney Hudson trade now is not looking good. Unfortunately, who would have thunk it? But it, that's the reality. And, you know, this Hopkins situation took the setback with the six-game suspension. Um, he still claims that he should have never been suspended and said he's got more info for after the season. That'll be interesting to see. The way Hopkins has handled himself and kept himself in great shape and come back with a with a vengeance uh, speaks to his character. So, you know, I'm tempted to believe him. And, um, you know, he's, he's handled his business properly and he worked really hard in training camp. And, you know, um, he's... He's a huge difference maker. It's it's obvious, and um, you know they're gonna, Cardinals are going to need him, but they're going to need someone to take command of this situation and, and change the habits. Of what's going on here on a weekly basis? And the only problem with that is I, I it appears that Hopkins has been more willing to practice, which would be a good thing because the Cardinals need that. Um, but we know that historically. He likes to take Wednesdays off. So, um, you know, I don't know if that'll go back into effect, which in my opinion creates a double standard and that it's not great for the team. Um, Cause practice is where you, you get these things straightened out and coordinated. You need to do it, you know, by breaking a sweat, not doing it through walkthroughs on a Friday. Um, and, uh, that's never going to change. Um, the best teams in the NFL are the ones who practice the best. And it's true in virtually all professional sports. Um, you know, it's how you practice the discipline that you have to play the game makes a huge difference. And the, the strategic edge, the players feel when the, when the preparation is, they know is savvy and good, and they feel good about themselves coming into the game. For the last 14 games, the Cardinals have come into games looking like they're not sure they want to be there for at least the first 15 minutes. And then they're scrambling on the fly to try to, you know, make it a game. You know, that's just got to stop somehow, some way. And, you know, I'm hoping for a miracle and that someone changes this whole thing could be Hopkins. I mean, he already, you know, when he arrived back on the scene, called a team meet players only meeting, wanted Kyler to speak first, you know, I think really huge step and, you know, um, and the results so far in two games were got one win and, you know, and a better showing on offense for sure this week. Um, take away the turnovers, maybe it's a different outcome. So, you know, maybe they're trending in the right direction, but it would depend. 
if they can, you know, pull a more disciplined and creative plan together so that they can keep teams off balance. And that's the whole point is that, you know, you get teams off balance and you have a strategic edge that can, you know, um, impel you to victory and consistently so. So, you know, this is a big, huge game this week. There's no, no denying it. And um, it's a huge challenge for the Cardinals and they've, you know, they've, just a few weeks ago, we're in Seattle to, you know, to see it firsthand of what Seattle's doing right now to assert themselves as the leader in the NFC West um, when nobody came close to predicting they would even have a chance. So through eight games, it's really stunning what they've done. And Cardinals have something to say about it, hopefully on Sunday. And, um, you know, I'd love to keep mixing it up with all of you on Twitter at WBJ Mitch um, and at revenge of the birds.com. Um, we'll love to hear your thoughts about all what we discussed, what you think the smartest thing, smartest plan is moving forward. Um, and what your thoughts are about this Seattle game. And is this a game uh, that the Cardinals can, can turn their season pivot off of if they show up big time so hoping for that until next time may the red rain shower down on you into the red red sea red rain <laughs>